following is a paid program on 630 WLAP. This is the Tom Dupree Show on News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. Welcome to the camp. I guess you all know why we're here. My name is Tommy, and I became aware this year. If you want to follow me, you've got to play pinball. And put in your earplugs, put on your eye shades, you know where to put the cork. I see the morning coming near your eyes Jubilee, Jubilee It's shining brighter than the sun in the sky Jubilee, Jubilee Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. This week, we are coming to you from Clay City, Kentucky. We've taken the show on the road. Joining us this week, Larry Meadows and Ovi Holland with the Red River Museum. We've got lots of fun things to share with you. So without further ado, Tom Dupree, you're on. Okay. I'll start off with the psalm, uh, Psalm 60. Oh God, thou hast cast us off. Thou hast scattered us. Thou hast been displeased, O turn thyself to us again. Thou hast made the earth to tremble. Thou hast broken it. Heal the branches thereof, for it shaketh. Thou hast showed thy people hard things. Thou hast made us to drink the wine of astonishment. Thou hast given us a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. Selah. That thy beloved may be delivered, save with thy right hand, and hear me. God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and mete out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the strength of my head. Judah is my lawgiver. Moab is my washpot. Over Edom will I cast out my shoe. Through God we shall do valiantly, for it is he that shall tread down our enemies. That's Psalm 60 parts of it um i have become acquainted with the red river museum and larry meadows uh for a few years through my good friend bill ambrose who uh was up here doing research on the railroad and got to know larry and uh i've become very uh um impressed with his incredible uh, encyclopedic knowledge of history and uh, also with his uh, real uh, interest and fervor, I would call it, for uh, finding petroglyph sites uh, throughout uh, several counties in this area, identifying them, uh, 
cataloging them and making efforts to protect them from vandals and theft. Um, and, uh, you know, I just really feel like this is a great place, and uh, I, I love the people up here uh, associated with the museum. Uh, Larry, I guess I would like to ask, um, tell me a little bit about the history of how the museum began and uh the reasons for, for why it began. Well, thank you, Mr. Debris. Uh, about in the 19 mid sixties, a group of us with local, we just decided that we got interested in historical things. There's so much history in the area. And we thought, well, you know, we need to, we need to start checking into this and start preserving it. So it seemed like we all kind of had the same common interests. And of course, through the years, we went from one thing to another. And as one thing gets a little bit boring, well, we change to something else. And, and I always, always end up being trying to capitalize on the rich, rich local history of this area. We, I think compared to other areas, uh, we're, we've been blessed with having so many things to work on. Of course, the Red River Gorge being nearby and all through the years prior to the Say the 1965 is when we really, really got cranking down on that. We need, we need to, to stay together, and maybe one of these days we could have a museum, even even though it's never been professional, never been professionally paid or sponsored by the government. Nevertheless, we decided this would be a worthy trip, and we have. Okay. The museum itself is located in a historic building. Uh, tell me a little bit about the building. Well, the building that we're that we have been in and put our focus, uh, maybe not in the first days. We we only rented the upstairs to start off with, and we we did that in late 1965, and, and then from there, uh, we were, we weren't permanent for a while, and I'll, I'll have to say the Kentucky Heritage Council that they, they were the ones that influenced us to stay with the architect of one of the most uh, still standing historic buildings in the whole county, and that was the old Clay City National Bank building. And, of course, that building we, we know now was built in 1889, became a bank in January of 1890, and served as a banking institution uh, for 54 years. And in 1944, it was liquidated that that was a couple of years after the train went out of Clay City and, and everything was sort of falling apart as far as business. Yeah. Let me ask you uh, this question. You all uh, took possession of the building. You all own that building now. We do now, yes. Okay. Uh, tell me about the collection. Uh, you've got so many interesting things in there, but it seems to follow kind of a pattern or a theme, if you will. Talk about that a little bit. Well, one of the things, of course, that uh, is we've been most interested in local history. However, people do bring things in that have some kind of a maybe even indirect connection, and uh, that's that's okay. If they want to donate that, we accept that too. Right. Another thing we do, if someone wants to just loan us, that's okay. We don't we don't make any provision on them that that they have to donate it because it's in there. Right. And we will give that back. There's most people don't ask for it back, but when they do, we're always willing. We've never made any controversy about returning that, even if it's a descendant 
of the person who had passed but, away. But it has to have some historical significance for you we, to put it in the museum. Yes, yes, we, 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 we do. Okay. We want some kind of historical significance. Oh, what would your, how would you add to that? Well, um, a few of the collections that, that we do have that uh, uh, are of special significance, the uh, Millstone Collection, we have one of the right. most uh, uh, complete uh, collections, I guess, in the eastern United States. Uh, the locals, locally, there was a uh, quarry that milled uh, the stone, so that uh, kind of touches on the uh, historical significance. Uh, the Cooper Shop, I'm a, a woodworker, so I'm particularly interested in that. Uh, we have demonstrations out there, and, and uh, it's interesting to see. Well, that's a barrel maker's shop, in other words. No, this was actually a uh, uh, wagon maker's carriage. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Carriage, uh, yeah. wagon wheel maker. Right. Yeah. I, I was, yeah. Um, wheelwright shop, I guess, is what it's called, isn't it, Larry? Yes. Yeah. And uh, so that's a, another one of the collections. Uh, inside, it's uh, various and sundry, uh, no, no particular theme, but uh, like Larry said, uh, it does have to have uh, historical significance. Um, some of the things that we're actually in a, a part of the renovation right now and repair, and uh, it's interesting finding things from the 1890s that uh, you don't have a clue what they are and trying to identify. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever had somebody just show up with something you just completely had no idea what it was? All the time. <laughs> <laughs> Tell about that, if you would. Well, um, uh, one of the things that we do, if, of course, you, there's a, uh, uh, you can always Google anything and, and probably get a lead. Thank goodness I don't know what we did before Google. Uh, but uh, sometimes uh, you just have to check around, and, and uh, old-timers usually are the best source, uh, just word right. of mouth. Uh, so-and-so knows about this, or so-and-so had one that looks something like that. So uh, usually that's a, a good way to reference uh, and, and get an idea uh, starting point. Anyway, all right. Talk a little bit about the different companies that were in here, say a hundred years ago, hundred and fifty years ago. The uh, timber companies, the coal. Any interesting personalities or people of that nature? Well, the, one of the uh, very important early industries that was actually there was a water power canal that was dug right beside of our. Our present facility went right through our museum grounds, right by our bank building, and it was uh, the it, the mo most proper name was the Red River Iron Works and Forge. This was a a all water powered when it first put in, and we're we're talking about eighteen four. This is off the Red River, the, yes. the water off the Red water River. Water off the Red River, and it, it was it was run by a water power canal, and all this machinery that just just really within stone's throw of our main centerpiece, the bank building, and, and it was uh, a, a massive ironworks. It was known far and wide, Red River Ironworks and Fort. And no electricity at all. It was, everything was running all this off was of water pulley power. off the, uh, the, the water power thing. Yes, and th this was even before you could get a steam engine locally. We're talking about very early 1800s. Wow. So, yeah, so uh, they first, they, they had to go to a water source. That's the reason they, they picked our site, because Red River makes such a, a big meander, almost meets itself coming back around Clay City, and this yeah. was the place to build a water-powered ironworks 
to, to do uh, run a blast furnace. We had the second blast furnace in the state of Kentucky. Good heavens. Yeah, and, and then, of course, uh, with the water paired. Was, there, was it a big stone thing like at Fitchburg? Uh, it, it was uh, smaller, but the same type principle and the same type of sandstone structure, yes. Wow. And, uh, and with that, because uh, he put in a water paired grist mill. And, of course, uh, one of our special treats this past year has been the people that had the, the millstone uh, that were made locally out of conglomerate. Because also nearby, within three miles of our museum building, the, the Red River Stone Quarry uh, knob and the Red River Millstone Quarry was famous. It was, it was sought after in the late 1700s by the early settlers. And a lot of these stones are actually... Mine, and we, that's one of our uh, prime collections, it's like Ovi said, is millstones. We've got so a bunch. So talk about the kind of stone that has to come out of the ground to be a millstone. It's kind of an aggregate kind it's of It's an aggregate, and it's a conglomerate, and it has quartz pebbles, and it has uh, obviously a really good uh, silicon oxide and, and also lime cementing material to uh, make Hold it, it very, to- very compact. And, and hold the edge real good so we can grind uh, corn into cornmeal. Right. And our, our local millstones here, it's uh, close to the museum that were quarried there. They're, they're not so good for grinding wheat into flour. Th- those usually come out of France and, really? got, and got exported over here, brought back as ballast on ships. Yeah, as and ballast. One, once a mill, local mill, got established with a local conglomerate, uh, then... They would do a little later. They'd add the other. So, so you're telling me that some of those millstones up there that you've got were actually quarried in France? That we have some of the segmented French flint. Yeah, but that would be that would be brought over, and you're right. As a ballast stone yeah. on a ship. And that was that was all over the United States. They did that because yeah. that, that, they have the best material in the world. Well, there. Bill was telling me that all the streets in Liverpool, England, are made out of ballast stones. Is that right? Yeah, that's what he told me. So. Hmm. That's great. It's interesting. Um, let me ask you this question. Uh, Indians in the area, uh, do you have records of uh, Native American settlement, historic Native American, not not prehistoric. We're going to get to that when we talk about the archaeology, but historic Native American settlement at all, or is there any? Well, uh, is at the time that... Uh Euro-Americans entered the scene here, then the, uh, as far as permanent settlements, they had been abandoned here, even though uh, a lot of the testimonies do verify and prove beyond any doubt that there were many bands of Native American indigenous people still around. And, and they, of course, it, it would not have been wise and when we started selling their land and basically taking it from them, for them to have a permanent settlement, although at Indian Fields, Esquipa Cathedral was a permanent settlement in, in the mid-1700s. Is that on Lubbergrud Creek over it's, that way? It's between Lubbergrud and Upper Harrods Creek. Okay. It's set right above uh, Upper Harrods Creek at, at, a, at a place. And, and that was the man that came here, uh, Robert Rambo, that did the one-man play, talking about that Esquipa Escapism. Yeah, he, he he was he was reenacting the Cherokee peace chief. Yes, and uh, and the village here at Iskipa Kathika 
uh, that that's now uh, other side of Golf's Corner, Indian Fields. Uh, that's was, in Clark was, that, County. It, yeah, it was Clark County, and it was a Shawnee Village, basically. Golf's Corner. There, that's Golf's an old. Corner. Golf is an old name, and very, very old. Uh, uh, Mr. Golf, the, he he was a hunter with Daniel Boone. Right. Okay. Um, gosh, the history. Just I get chills thinking about it. You, you mentioned Lu- you mentioned uh and uh, I don't know if you're familiar, but supposedly Daniel Boone named that and was uh, from Gulliver's Travels. Reading Gulliver's Travels, camped out there. Yeah, uh, and of course, Pilot Knob, where he first uh, saw the bluegrass and the large Indian village you're talking about, uh, is in the county here, uh, and you can see seven counties from that beautiful hike that uh, is maintained by the Nature Conservancy. I think. Yeah, and we got one over in uh, Madison County. Uh, a pilot knob there and uh, station camp Creek, Jackson County and Estill, uh, supposedly Daniel Boone spent a winter down in there, which, but that's getting off the subject. Um, let's go back to um, the, you can't, you really can't talk about Powell County without a wider discussion of central and eastern Kentucky. And this is a gateway area from the bluegrass into the mountains. And I'm sure that that is noted and understood in, in the way you've done the museum. Yes, we, we feel like it is. And, and a lot of our collections hinges on that, that the, the gateway uh, exhibition to Someone stopped there and they haven't got up into the the gorge natural bridge area yet. Well, we, we hopefully we can enlighten them on what they will see when they get a little further east and southeast, and also we'll see a lot of relics that that will be representative of the history that they will be in there. Right. The trade. So much of the trade came out of the mountains like timber and coal, for instance, you had the railroad that came through and it would go down into the bluegrass and to the Kentucky river, maybe at Frankfurt or somewhere near there. And, and, and I guess on to the Ohio. Yes. One of the things that, that we have in our depot, which come out of Slade, it was rotting down and it had been given to us a few years earlier and we finally got to move it down and restore it. And in that depot, which which is all got about it's the a trains, train, de- train depot. It's a train depot, yes. And uh, where Slade now is, is is really become known, you know, as a, a center point of getting off the Parkway there and yeah, the, everything. The recreational stuff yeah. for the rock climbing and things. Right, and the railroad, uh, they uh, they really capitalized in the uh, 1890s when it entered the Natural Bridge and Torrent areas. They torn, capitalized torn on tour, yeah, tourism. Oh, they had uh, hotels up that way. Had a big hotel. They had, they had uh, a big dance floor. It was just uh, unprecedented uh, on post. Yeah, they, there was a story that they had a, uh, a large basket, and they would have uh, opera and or uh, preaching or whatever, and they would lower the speaker down in that basket uh, to uh, uh, entertain the crowd below on the, the platform he was talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's the big uh, uh dome there at torrent and right, and right. so it was a this was a gateway area uh for a lot of these uh things that went on uh farther up the river if you will farther up the trail in the mountains and uh 
Elizabeth, what did you think about all this? You're the historian in the crowd. <laughs> I'm just running the board today and minding my own business. <laughs> is it fascinating to you? It is. And what I think is really great is that it's probably um, uh, information that a lot of our listeners have not been exposed to. And they really should come up and to, Clay, really to Clay City to the Red River Museum once they get there <laughs> themselves put back together after the flood. Um, but there, no, they can. T you don't have visitors right now, do you? Well, I mean, we'll show them what's going on. We don't yeah. care. It's yeah. just that it's a total. It, it's the worst wreck it's ever been in with the flood. We we've got eight buildings, and the river was anywhere from ten inches deep to four and a half foot. And six out of the eight. It come it came up in it, it pretty It came good. up overnight. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's well, like a flash flood, which Red River rarely does that. Right. Well, you know what? It might have temporarily affected uh some things that are going on, but it hasn't diminished the uh, heartfelt will of those who are involved in the museum. That's the thing that is so important. We're going to talk a little more about some other things that people at the museum do uh, in the second half of, of the hour. Uh, and their their main showtime is May to... The first, usually on a regular schedule, we're open the first weekend in May through the last in October on Saturday and Sunday afternoons from noon to five. All right, but, we got to jump right there. Right. We'll, we'll tell the rest when we come back. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show with Larry Meadows and O.V. Holland. We'll be back in just a few minutes. $1,400 per person is not enough. Enough, enough is never enough. So let's double it. We're going to double double your stimulus. Up to six chances a day to win $1,400. We doubled on News Radio 630 WLAP. Hi, this is Tom Dupree. What actually makes a difference in life? Is it Bitcoin? Is it gold? Perhaps it's bonds, racehorses? No of any economic entity in which you can invest, the ones which actually make a difference are corporations. They are maligned, taxed, demonized, run by left-wing ideologues, but still, they must produce a profit. They cannot afford to invest in things the way that government does. Their investments must show a profit. Their investments must be productive. We believe our clients like to think their investments are being productive, both for society and for them. For a free review of your retirement investment portfolio, call Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 and be sure to listen to the Tom Dupree Show Saturdays at 7 a.m. at News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. At this very moment, the biggest stars in music are clearing their calendars. Travel arrangements are being made. Because on Thursday, May 27th, they'll be on stage in person at our 2021 iHeartRadio Music Awards. Join us as we celebrate the songs and artists you loved and listened to the most on iHeartRadio in 2020. Our 2021 iHeartRadio Music Awards, Thursday, May 27th. This is big. Watch it live on Fox. The journey on the path to spiritual enlightenment is personal. 
And as you'll hear on the Astray podcast, it can also be deadly. Join filmmaker Caroline Slaughter on the podcast as she uncovers the disappearances and deaths that have befallen Westerners who have taken a spiritual pilgrimage to India. Don't go to India because this is a Venus flytrap for your vulnerability. Listen to Astray on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You think it won't happen to you. You're in a rush, so you start speeding and you cut off a car or truck. You didn't think much of it. Until now. The Kentucky State Police are participating in TACT, the Ticketing Aggressive Cars and Trucks campaign. So the next time you're driving next to a car or a big truck, remember, it's not a race. Leave space and be safe. This message is brought to you by the Kentucky State Police and the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. Mix of thunderclouds across the area on this Saturday. Overall, a fairly nice day. Temperatures are deep into the 70s for that afternoon high. Severe thunderstorms possible later tonight. From the WKYT First Alert Weather Center, I'm meteorologist Chris Bailey. Broadcasting live 24-7 from the heart of Big Blue Nation. This is News Radio 630 WLAP and iHeart Radio Station. It's all about the nose. It's your air filter, the first line of defense against bacteria and viruses. If too many germs get stuck in your nose, guess what? You get sick. That's why it's so important to keep your nose clean, just like washing your hands. Now there's a better way to keep your nose clean and help your body protect itself. It's called Navage Nasal Care. Navage uses powered suction to flush out allergens, mucus, bacteria, and viruses. At Navage.com, CDS, Walgreens, Bed Bath, Target, and Rite Aid. Navage, N-A-V-A-G-E. Eric was way behind on his taxes. I owed a lot of money to the IRS, almost $15,000. Eric called Optima Tax Relief. When Optima Tax got involved, the cars would stop, the threats would stop. It was easy like, uh... One, two, three. Optima Tax Relief took care of Eric's problem. And now my debt is clean. I don't owe anything. Call Optima Tax Relief for a free consultation. Call 800-386-9945. 800-386-9945. Optima Tax Relief. There are new forms of the coronavirus. Just what we needed, right? Yeah. So we wondered, are we doing enough to protect ourselves and our son? Turns out we are. Because things like well-fitted masks, six feet of space, avoiding crowds. All of that still works. And getting vaccinated, you know, when it's our turn. COVID may not be letting up, but neither are we. We can do this. Learn more at cdc.gov coronavirus. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. If you're wondering what's going on in the markets these days, you're not alone. It seems the conventional metrics of discerning value in markets has been thrown out the window. Perhaps it may help to look at interest rates, which are lower than ever. They are lower than in my dad's time in the business and in my granddad's time. Interest rates can justify valuations in the stock market and lower interest rates can support higher valuations. So maybe things aren't that crazy. We talk about stuff like this at Dupree Financial Group. For a no-obligation review of your retirement investment portfolio, call us at 859-233-0400 or go to DupreeFinancial.com. And be sure to listen to the Tom Dupree Show Saturdays from 7 to 9 a.m. at News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. That's Dupree Financial Group at 233-0400. 630 WLAP.
Could it be, could it be I'll never stand up taller Could it be, could it be That nothing's gonna change When the muscles round my brain Start to make me feel insane I think it's time to get on And we are on the road again this week. We are coming to you from Clay City with Larry Meadows and Ovi Holland of the Red River Museum. And covering different ground than we usually cover. There's no D at the end of his name. Holland. Why is it? Why do I do? Why do I even set myself up for this? Always got something, don't you, Tom? All right. Did I spell it? I didn't spell it. I said it. (laughs) Call me anything but late for supper. (laughs) I can do that. Oh. I don't know why I get cracked up over stuff like that. It's okay. You you poke the bear. Yeah, that's it. All right. Um, There's a feature of what is done by the museum, which is not inside the museum walls. It never will be. It's outside the museum. and, um, And I think it's maybe the most noble of the museum's efforts, although it's, you know, who's to say? But um, it involves uh, looking at different uh, sites around in several counties in this area and in this county where uh, Native peoples from several thousand years ago uh, have uh, inscribed typically on rocks, usually not on paper, (laughs) Uh, different um, elements of artistic uh, expression, if you will, and uh, regarding uh, sometimes bear tracks, sometimes human feet, uh, and uh, and other kinds of things. Uh, These are a... uh, a petroglyphic record of people that lived long before we did outside of recorded history and yet right here in this vicinity. Um, and there are professionals in the business that do what they do and then there's the museum that kind of does what it does. And uh, it's all volunteer. It's not professional. It's not paid. Um, it's people simply trying to learn and discover uh, what they can about these uh, interesting people. And the rocks, as Larry has said, the rocks talk to us. Uh, we don't know much, if anything, about these people that lived before uh, other than the things that they wrote on the rocks, which doesn't tell us all that much. Um, But it's been a fascination, I know, of Larry 
and Ovi, I'm sure you've been fascinated with it also for a number of years. And if something is that interesting to keep someone's attention for decade after decade, there's something to it. So pick it up. Well, um, one of the interesting things you talked about, um, um, the footprints and the carvings and so forth. Uh, of course, there's there's several, and I'll let Larry uh, elaborate on some of those. But one of the things that I thought uh, was particularly interesting, there's in two or three different places, there's human footprints carved out uh, with only four toes. So I don't know if there was a four-toed uh, carver going around back in the day or if the, maybe they had a deity that uh, <laughs> that had four toes, but uh, I thought that was particularly uh, interesting. Of course, uh, uh, turkey tracks and, and some of those. But uh, And you talked about this being a uh, kind of a crossroads of uh, Native Americans. There were several tribes that uh, used this as a hunting ground and uh, passed through. As a matter of fact, the... Uh, Larry has told me a story about the, the Warrior's Trace that actually went uh, very near where we're sitting right now. Uh, there was a, a forward a crossing place uh, not far up the river. So um, a lot of the Shawnee, uh, the Mohawks, Ojibwe, several tribes uh, that use this and, and travel. Those are significantly northern type tribes. They're up New York State and places. Right, right. The Mohawks, but now the Mohawks were, uh, they, they roamed some. Too, so. Did they? Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Larry. Well, yes. Uh, the, uh, the 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 warrior's path is the, there. There are different warrior's paths, and we have a land grant, and even Red River, real close to what that's always said to here, uh, is one one up Red River uh, by the name of the Fife. Uh, it still goes by Fife Lake today. However, the the main north south warrior's path that is referred by a lot of the early writers in uh, early chronicles of, of our history. It's, uh, it's kind of, I sort of compare that to I-75 going north and south now. It's just a, a, a very uh, well-known, many, many Native Americans and Indians at that time used to, it, it. It had to be known for many places uh, that uh, there's a lot. There's, there is very interesting theories about when you get into why was it so prominent? Well, it may actually have been that Mastodon and Mammoth and other extinct mammals of that time used that first, even before the uh, the bison, American bison, at the time that our people started coming in here. Uh, they didn't realize that the, the buffalo barely beat them here as far as migration. That it was not it really wasn't in the rock children people that we study. It's just almost never do you find a buffalo or bison bone. Gosh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, trails and stuff were they were well known back then. Let was, me, streams were used as trails too, and it's just part of it. Yeah, okay. All right, I want to ask you, Larry about the, some of the shelters themselves without disclosing any locations or any particular type of uh, thing that it is. In general, do you find that these shelters, typically they're under an overhang, rock overhang, were places 
wherever the art was made or the, the, the carvings, if you will, would that also be where they lived in their home or would they go to another place to do this and then live somewhere else? Well, according, according to the archaeological interpretation by professionals and, and uh, avocationists like us as well, there's, there's, uh, there, there's actually, uh, you're right, there's double meaning on that. Sometimes it, there seems to be patterns that they might have been done some carvings here spiritualistically and maybe not live so much there. And then it's kind of like that was their church. They were, that yeah, was their so church, like church. Church, yeah, yeah. And then, and then at other times you'll have a big shelter and it's just laced with carvings. And of course, in uh, in, a, in a more broader scheme, in uh, rock art includes two things: the carvings of petroglyphs, and it also includes pictographs, paintings, Native American paintings that are interpreted to be the real stuff. Are pretty rare in Kentucky. They are a few. They're extremely rare in the Red River Gorge area, although that is one of the most plentiful petroglyph places as far as so population per square mile. A pictograph is painting on the rock. Painting on the rock. Uh, petroglyph is carving, carving into, in the rock. into the rock. Right. Let me ask you this uh, question, uh, either, either one of you. Uh, when was that aha moment for you as members of the museum of how much categorization and cataloging that there was to be done in this area? You must have had a moment where it hits you like a ton of bricks, like, wow, we could spend our whole lives doing this. Well, the, the, big, the big impact that we had by Dr. Fred E. Coy, Jr. of Louisville and his best friend, Thomas C. Fuller, was in May of 1970 when they first visited the Red River Museum. And at, before that, we'd had some of our friends tell us about some rock art sites, and we had visited them. But it was then, and th they had already started a statewide research on the subject because the reason was, and, and Dr. Coy was an orthopedic surgeon by profession, that he could not find any literature written on the subject about Kentucky rock art, although there had been a lot in West and Southwest United States and, and of course, uh, naturally in South America and other parts of the world. So, so he, he had really adopted this, so we just fell in with that, that we wanted someone to be a leader of us. We. We, we like to scout, we like to find, we like to talk to people. And, but, but this give us a reason. So it, it was really 1970s when, the, when the, real, the real light flipped on. And from that time on, we, we, we've continuously, everybody comes in the museum, if they're a climber or something, we, we start communicating with them. And, and then working with the Forest Service and with the professional archaeologists through the many years, that, that is the way that we accumulated so many rock art sites in, in the state of Kentucky. Our, our deal was mostly in the state of Kentucky. We, we've been to a few outside of the state. But we, that was so, so, so really it was Dr. Coy and Tom Fuller who began that. This, this gave us this real reason to focus on it, and we've focused ever since. And the book 
Rock, Rock Art, Art of Kentucky. Kentucky. That's her name, yes. Resulted from this. Yes. That's Dr. Coy Fuller. You're one of the ed- you're one of the authors of it, and then another fella. And so there, it's four people that basically wrote that book, and it came out what back in the eighties. Yeah, eighty seven or something. But uh, but the the one the one point I will make is my name is only on there, not as a writer. They I wanted the Red River Museum to be the name, and and then the Kentucky Heritage Council was the editor, and they said we got we can't have an organization, got to have a name. So so Ben's I was a contact person, and got to be you know friends with Dr. Coy and Tom Fuller and Dr. Schwager. That's and of course they're all deceased because they were much older than me. And that, that was the reason that uh, my name's on her. Not, not, not taking any credit for me doing that kind of work, writing a book of that nature. They did a great job. And I've just, my name really should be Red River Museum. That just wasn't allowed. So that's the reason. Okay. Now, one of the things that I uh, wanted to uh, uh, notate, if you will, or, or bring about is uh, the. Uh, the thing that uh, is the need to get some younger people involved in the efforts here because, you know, you're going to be 80 next year yep. and uh, there are different people. Uh, and tell me, are you getting some young folks uh, in in on this effort? Yes, we are. I think in the last couple of years uh, – over here has been very instrumental in uh, getting getting more young interest in that, and uh, and through different sources, uh, we we see a lot more more uh, youthful interest to take over because that's going to happen anytime. That's good. Yes, we got to have that, for, or, or we can't survive. We got to have the youth, and uh, they're they're much. It seems to me they're much more interested now than they were ten years ago. Right, Ovi. What would your thoughts be on that? Uh, well, uh, of course, the, the only problem with the younger people are, uh, uh, it's hard to sometimes to get them interested unless there's an, a natural interest anyway. But uh, it seems like most of the older people are the ones that know uh, where the sites are. So it's a good blend of the two. You have to have the uh, the younger generation to pass this on, and uh, you've got to utilize the older people to uh, uh, remember where the sites are and, and uh tell you about them and a lot of times it's word of mouth well so and so told me that there was one back in this holler or wherever but uh for me the uh the the most interesting part the thing that really piqued my interest um was visiting a a shelter we actually our group uh looked at this and cataloged it and there was a a a very small shelter but it had a uh we call them Hominy holes, and uh, I was fascinated by that as a child, and um, uh, I think they were given that uh, the the misnomer of uh, hominy hole by uh, Funkhauser and Webb. Was that right? Yes. Uh, and they surmised that it was to grind corn, but uh, it's just fascinating to me that uh, you see them in several places, several states even. Um, these deep holes, uh, two to four inches in diameter, sometimes larger, and they might go down as far as uh, two and a half, three feet. And uh, so it, it doesn't make sense. And, and we're trying to find out why why they did those. Uh, was it to grind food? Was it to store food? Uh, it's all just conjecture at this point. Is uh, 
What's the feeling like when you roll up on something that maybe nobody's ever seen before, other than the people who made it seven or 8,000 years ago? Well, I guess you would probably feel a, a lot like Daniel Boone did the first time he uh, saw this place. You're uh, fascinated and interested, and in, in, uh, uh, he's got that feeling of discovery that uh, you're the first eyes that's been laid right. upon this. So, uh, And, of course, uh, along with that goes the, uh, 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 the wonderment, uh, uh, you know, and then uh, how, did, how did this, uh, how was this done and, and why? Sure, sure. Okay, let's the the museum and let's get honest. The museum sustained a little bit of damage in the flooding here in the last three or four weeks, and I want to make an appeal to people to maybe get interested in this and consider donations and things of that nature. Although this isn't what this show's about, it's not about trying to beg for money or that kind of thing. But I would be remiss if we didn't at least discuss that the museum's got to have some some work done and and things that have to be done uh to repair the flood damage and you're dealing with an older building sometimes there are things that begin to go downhill in that building despite its uh historic charm older buildings have stuff that goes wrong with them so we're dealing with some of that right now and, and just talk a little bit about what the scope of it is what some of the financial needs might be Well, um, I alluded to this earlier, but it uh, seems like the, the more we get into it, uh, the more we find out that needs to be done. Um, and part of it is flood damage. Uh, part of it is the age of the building. Um, one of the things we found out just this morning is that uh, some of the brick on the inside wall have separated and are falling because they uh, uh, had supports. They they built the outside shell uh, very strong. The inside was uh, close to the ground, and of course, we've added uh, air conditioning and, and uh, some modern conveniences, and had to work around uh, some of those limitations. But um, uh, we have found out that we um, had to replace the roof. We did that last year. There was uh, because of the leaky roof. Uh, there were some drywall issues. We had to uh, repair those and had just got ready to uh, open up, hopefully for this season, um, the COVID permitting, of course. And uh, we had this flood. Now, I don't know. There's The river's been up in the museum several times, and uh, Larry mentioned earlier about a uh, canal going, a log canal going right beside the museum. Uh, the lake... Uh, the river basically makes a, a large oxbow around the town. And, uh, of course, the water tries to shortcut right beside the museum, and that's part uh, of the damage. Uh, we had a lot of uh, rushing water that uh, is tremendous force. So uh, we had some outside damage from that. Uh, we're still surveying, and, and we don't know the full extent, but about half of the floor joists uh are decayed and or uh, have termite infestation, and and we have to replace those from the floor up. So, extensive. all right, if we got to, we're getting close to the end here. If you wanted to help, where would you send donations? Uh, well, you can send them to uh, the Red River Museum, Clay City, Kentucky, and that's PO. What's that PO box? Five one six. Okay, uh, and uh, to send it to to that and. Uh, you can also log in on the Facebook page, uh, The Red River Museum, 
and uh, uh, there's information there about the ongoing efforts, and, and uh, you get more information, the address, and so forth, if you uh, want to do that. Yeah, and the museum, it's just a great organization. And Listen. The, the P.O. Box was what again? 517. 517, and that's Clay City, Clay City Kentucky. Kentucky. 40312. Perfect. 40312. 40312. All right. Listen, uh, sorry we couldn't go longer. I could go two hours with y'all. <laughs> You're that good, by the way. Larry, it's just like you said, Mr. Britannica, the walking encyclopedia. Yeah, we didn't hardly tap into <laughs> no. his thing. No. Uh, well, we'll have to come back again when you get the itch to come on the road again, Tom. That'll be next week. Yeah, well, or maybe tomorrow. Who knows? Hey, listen, we'll be back the next hour with our financial guys. We'll be back in Lexington to bring you the Tom Dupree Show. Uh, so stay tuned. We're powered by Dupree Financial Group. We'll talk to you in a minute. Come on, come on. There's wood beside the fire. Always just minutes away from the latest news around town and around the world. You need to know what's going on. News Radio 630 WLAP. If you're wondering what's going on in the markets these days, you're not alone. It seems the conventional metrics of discerning value in markets has been thrown out the window. Perhaps it may help to look at interest rates, which are lower than ever. They are lower than in my dad's time in the business and in my granddad's time. Interest rates can justify valuations in the stock market and lower interest rates can support higher valuations. So maybe things aren't that crazy. We talk about stuff like this at Dupree Financial Group. For a no obligation review of your retirement investment portfolio, call us at 859-233-0400 or go to dupreefinancial.com. Dot com. And be sure to listen to the Tom Dupree Show Saturdays from 7 to 9 a.m. at News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. That's Dupree Financial Group at 233 0400.